Hi there and welcome to my soothing podcast. I am Sergey Bloom. During these coronavirus times when everybody is sheltering in place, including myself, my family, the kids, I discovered that it's a lot of fun to teach the kids at home. I didn't know I'd like it, but it turns out that I do, and I'm having a blast. I've organized the schedules. They have probably, like most kids, video classes. Our kids are using Zoom. And there are assignments, homework, and so on and so forth. And I am enjoying the process of being this teacher. I have fun doing it. I guess I was always a tech head and I like gadgets. Our household uses Apple products. I also have one or two Android devices, but mostly we use Apple products and so I've decided to explore using Apple's iPad. Um, we have a MacBook, but mostly iPads are involved. And whatever apps are available to teach kids and I found for my purposes there's a way to get enough done with free apps. In fact, I am using an app that Apple itself made called Classroom. Right now, it doesn't do a whole lot for me, but it's useful. It allows me to sort of send uh, whatever the kids need to do from my MacBook or my iPad directly to the kids' iPads, and it pops up on their screen, and they start doing the stuff. So I can keep track of what each child needs to do, and send whatever is the following thing that they need to do, whatever is next in line, and just send it over to their screen and have them start working on it. So that's kind of convenient. Uh, and it's got more to it than just that, so I'm exploring um, we've also started using Apple's Notes, which is, you know, their free app for note-taking. And it's, uh, it's improved over the years, and, you know, we post videos uh, into the notes and homework, and we take screenshots of the homework that has been completed, save it in notes, and so on and so forth. And so it's kind of fun to explore how gadgets can be used to make homework more fun and of course we have one ipad uh, th that came or i think i purchased uh, an apple pencil for you can write on the ipad with that uh, pencil right on the screen and it allows you to say take a uh, take a photo of an actual piece of paper which then you can write on top of. And so you can take a photo of a blank uh, piece of homework that hasn't been filled in with correct answers. And then kids have lots of fun filling in answers 
by writing on the screen with this plastic pencil device and they get to pick different colors and you know each letter and each number becomes a multicolored and it just it, it lights their faces up so the the whole schooling process becomes more fun and we do a lot of stuff this way they have learned how to record videos right inside notes so I make fun videos using another app that Apple makes called uh, Clips. And it's just an app with which to make videos. And it allows you to insert a lot of, insert a lot of fun stuff into the video. You can choose pre-made backgrounds. Uh, the backgrounds are actually animated. Some of them are from pretty famous uh, cartoon movies. And so it looks like, uh, you know, you are in that movie and you're talking to your kids and um, it, it's just, it, it blows their minds. And I sort of introduced myself to them as their teacher and behind me are cartoon characters running around and doing their stuff just like they did in, uh, in the movie. Um, I think one of the movies from which there is a background is called Incredibles, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't seen it, but, you know, the kids recognize the cartoonish characters and see me standing in the midst of all of that, and they're just absolutely beside themselves. So anything to make it more fun, and I'm happy to do it. And they record videos into the notes directly, so... I might make a video where I present to the kids whatever homework they need to do or bits of homework and they record the video right under mine with their response and turns out that it's just something that is absolutely 100% fun and they have told a bunch of adults in the house and a bunch of neighbors that this is going on and how much fun it is. So maybe I'm thinking, I'm telling you all about it. Maybe you could do something similar at your household. One of the things that my daughter and I did recently was a homework that she was assigned, I think, uh, this was just writing, and so it was supposed to be a how-to. And so we decided what we're going to record um, as as a how-to, or, or what are we actually going to talk about? What is this going to be about? How to do what exactly? So we just happened that day to bake a cake there's this apple cake not an apple pie as my wife corrected me it's an apple cake uh, that i learned to make from my mom my mom learned to make from her mom my grandma it's a traditional very easy to make apple cake that was probably initially based on a French recipe and the cake is called Apple Charlotte 
And there is a French apple Charlotte, but it's much, much more involved than what uh, I've learned to do. And this recipe that I used, it comes from probably the, the former Soviet Union area. And so my daughter and I decided that we were going to go through this recipe, bake this apple cake, and then write the how-to. And that's what we did. Of course, by now, my daughter already used that iPad I talked about earlier that you can write on with, uh, with that plastic pencil. Um, she used that a lot and she fell in love with the device, the pencil, and the whole concept. And she said to me, I want to write this how-to on your iPad. And of course I said yes. And so we've made a blank page. I uh, scanned the blank, blank page into the notes app the Apple Notes app on that iPad. And then my daughter and I went to the kitchen and we started, uh, um, you know, making this apple cake. Interestingly, it became much more involved than usual because I realized I needed to focus on every little detail because if we were going to write a how-to it should be pretty close to exactly what was happening in the kitchen so that if anyone actually tried to follow this how-to they would have all of the information they need i guess looking back in retrospect i overdid it i'm not sure who is going to read the how-to or even attempt to follow the how-to I'm sure the, uh, the, the writing teacher, the English teacher, will look at it and make sure that it looks good, but I don't know that anyone will follow it. But I thought on the off chance that someone might, it's not a bad idea to uh, make sure that I document it carefully. And then I also thought, you know, if I really do document the process really well, and put everything down on paper and iPad. And the teacher sees it and sees the level of detail. He might think, hey, maybe I should try this. This looks like it's a you know real recipe with all the information in it. This might be good. Uh, I might even pass it on to somebody. Maybe somebody else will try to do it. So I thought maybe it's worth the effort. And so we started doing this and I decided to take photos of every major step and we, I think we even took a couple of videos and I saved all of that and um, by the time it was uh, time to put the whole thing in the oven, my daughter had to go to bed, it was uh, bedtime, uh, but I finished it on my own and it was done that night and then the following morning we 
looked at it and and I think that morning or later that following morning is when we actually started to write the how to or the recipe and so here is how the how to turned out and I'm going to attempt to also add some details so that this podcast contains hopefully enough information that if any of you decided to actually try this at home you may be able to in fact come up with this apple cake so the first thing is we took the blank in the iPad copied it over to a new note and then I wrote at the top how to bake an apple cake and then my daughter's homework began she had to actually write herself and so she was asking me what did we do and I said well what was the first thing you did in fact she did this she's almost six years old she started by cracking for eggs so I say to her okay write crack for eggs and she's still learning the letters of the alphabet and so she asked me how do you write crack and so we started going through the sounds the k k k she looked at me and said is that a k or a c so I said yeah it's a c and then r r r and she writes an r and a a a and she writes an a and then I say k k k and she looks at me is that a c or a k and like actually it's two letters together and I think she actually remembered and she said oh c k I said that's correct and so on and so forth and we were continuing on with the how to that way that was the fabulous exercise for her to learn how to write and she wrote crack for eggs and this time the teacher was uh, stressing the importance of seeing punctuation so we had to learn about the period at the end of the sentence it was interesting because we wrote crack for eggs and then uh, what we didn't write is that we were using the uh, KitchenAid mixer. So we were cracking the four eggs into the KitchenAid mixer bowl. So the next sentence was, turn the mixer on. So we cracked four eggs into the mixer bowl and turned the mixer on. So it starts beating the eggs. So then the periods, it was interesting. Uh, for for my six years old, six year old, it was it was uh, not instantly obvious where the period is supposed to go. So I said, "Well, what about the period? The period needs to go where?" And she randomly started picking locations um, at the end of a word one, at the end of the word two, and so on and so forth, and. Then I said, okay, a period goes at the end of a sentence. And 
she couldn't figure out where the end of the sentence is, and that was interesting. It's interesting to observe how kids think about things, and we eventually figured out that there were two sentences here, crack for eggs, period, turn the mixer on, period. And so that was more or less the end of page number one. That first page took a fair amount of time. Uh, I guess it depends on individual kids. Um, my six-year-old, uh, you know, isn't very fast with writing yet. She still struggles to remember certain letters and so on and so forth. So writing those two sentences took a fair amount. But we pressed on and... Uh, I looked at her, I thought that she still had it in her to write some more. So we went for page number two and rewrote, or my daughter wrote, butter the pan. And we put a period at the end. So butter the pan basically just means take a stick of butter, a piece of butter, uh, preferably cool enough so it doesn't melt in your hands completely it's easier to do it that way and you're basically just moving the butter back and forth on the bottom of the baking dish and the sides of the baking dish and you are coating the sides and the bottom of the baking dish with you know a thin covering of uh, butter the next sentence was uh, sprinkle the pan with cream of wheat, period. That was a long sentence. It took us a while. She was starting to lose focus at that point, but we made it. And so the recipe calls for cream of wheat. It could probably be something else, but uh, in baking, you often use something to to coat the pan with. You know, if you were to bake bread, you often put something on the baking sheet so the bread doesn't stick to it. It could be, I, I've seen people use olive oil, for example, or vegetable oil to thinly coat the baking sheet before you put the uh, the dough on before it goes in the oven. Um, I think I've seen uh, cornmeal used to to sprinkle onto the baking sheet. In this case, this recipe that came from the former Soviet Union, it called for cream of wheat, um, you know, otherwise known as farina. Um, it's readily available at any store in the United States. I think it's available all over the world. I think pretty much everybody knows what it is. Manna is another word. There's a reference to manna falling from the sky in the Bible. So, you take some of that cream of wheat and... You can dump a fair amount right into that baking dish after you've buttered it. And then you just basically tilt the baking dish 
in every direction so the so the cream of wheat rolls all across the bottom and down to the sides and you tip it some more so the sides get covered and cream of wheat sticks to butter so you're basically you've coated the uh, the baking dish with butter and with this cream of wheat and then you can go to the sink or wherever and turn the baking dish upside down and tap it on the bottom on the outside and whatever excess cream of wheat was there will fall out and what you're left with is perfectly coated baking dish uh, that's ready for the next uh, batch of things to go in there and so uh as I speak here, I'm looking at this page and my daughter actually drew some pictures at the top where it's her next to the mixer. I think she drew the baking dish. Uh, this looks like something is sticking up, something small is sticking up from the baking dish. Maybe that's supposed to be the stick of butter. And I am standing there with a piece of paper, which is a recipe. And I'm not sure if... In this one, in this picture, I think I'm smiling. Uh, I think that's it. And then she really likes to label things. So there's an arrow pointing at me, and it says Papa. And she labeled the mixer and herself and so on and so forth. And I think that was more or less the end of writing that day. It turned out to be quite a bit. I want to say it must have taken us at a minimum 30 minutes. It might have been closer to 45 minutes. And, you know, keeping a six-year-old for 30 to 45 minutes, paying attention to what they're doing and having them engaged. I'm not a professional teacher, but for me, that was about as much as I could do. <laughs> Next up was page three, and my daughter wrote, wash and slice apples, period. The second sentence, we put apples in the pan, period. So what's happening here is that... Um, Obviously, you wash the apples, but you also have to core them. You don't put the cores in. And you slice them. And uh, I generally slice apples into quarters, into four pieces each. But that also depends on the size of the apple. Um, I also found out that uh, now living in the United States... So far, the apples that I like best for this recipe are called Pink Lady. And uh, I haven't seen very large Pink Lady apples anywhere. Um, I usually see them about medium size. So after you remove the core from a medium-sized apple like that, cutting it into four pieces seems about right. Um, for comparison, traditional American apple pie um, uses, the recipe uses uh, 
pretty small pieces of apples. There's like small little chunks, tiny slices. Um, this one is, you know, uh, th this apple cake uses substantial pieces of apple. And that's just how the recipe has always been. I have actually seen apple charlotte in the former Soviet Union made uh, in such a way, I mean, maybe they used much larger apples to begin with, but um, you could take a knife and, and slice a piece of the cake and, and, and I don't know, maybe half of that slice was one apple chunk. Maybe it would remind you of baked apples or something. So when you bake an apple, um, you could bake an apple all by itself. Or there's also a recipe where it's a baked apple in dough. An apple wrapped in thin layer of dough and then baked. I, uh, I, I've seen that before. I don't know what the recipe for that would be. But in that recipe, it's the entire apple. You don't even slice it. You remove the core. That's about it. So... Uh, this is sort of a riff on that. You are not chopping apples into tiny pieces for this apple cake recipe for this apple charlotte. But, you know, you cut it into quarters, into four pieces, and that's the whole point of this recipe, that the apple chunks are going to be pretty substantial. Um, original recipe in Soviet Union called for... Um, an apple in Russian called Antonovka, which I'm sure means nothing to any of you unless you are from that neck of the woods. But to approximate that apple, I found Pink Lady to, to be a perfect substitute. I've looked online. I'm not the first person living in the United States making this specific recipe i've actually found some people posting on some cooking websites who seem to be americans not not former soviet union uh emigres uh, um who've tried this recipe and they've posted about using this apple or that apple or whatever apple uh, someone there posted sounds uh, like they said uh, that Pink Lady would be the best approximation. I remember reading that and thinking, I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a try because I've eaten a Pink Lady prior to that and I thought it has a good balance of sourness and sweetness and a bit of crunch to it. It's not too crumbly. Um, it's not as sour as uh, Granny Smith. Um, but it's also not, um, there's there's a Macintosh apple, which is popular in the East Coast of the United States. Uh, and Pink Lady kind of approaches Macintosh in, in, I'd say, in flavor, in taste, but it's sturdier. And Macintosh apples turn to mush, I think, if you try to bake them. So Pink Lady it is. And so... Uh, that's the detailed info on which apples to use and why I use pink apple, uh, pink lady apples. And the third page, anyway, was just those two sentences. You wash them, 
and you slice them. Wash and slice apples. What we left out is you got to remove the core. You don't want the seeds and pits in there. Uh, not pits, seeds and whatever else in there. And once you cut them into quarters, you start putting them into that baking dish that you buttered and covered with cream of wheat. And I have a tendency for some reason to lay the pieces in whatever order, really, but... Uh, you don't remove the skin from the apples, so those quarter pieces can t still have the apple skin on them, and I put them skin down. I don't know why I do that, but I think at some point I discovered that if you don't put it skin down, there's a good chance that uh, the meat of the apple on the bottom of the dish will start to turn to mush and, and potentially cause some problems with later removing the whole thing from the baking dish or causing the bottom of the cake to become sort of mushy or a little bit wet etc etc so just a little tip I, i'm not even sure that i'm right about this but that's what i've been doing putting those quarter pieces skin down as much as possible not obsessively so but if possible and so that, I guess, brings us to the end of page three. Now, moving on to page four, uh, more things got left out because my six-year-old was getting tired by the time we were doing that page and we couldn't list out all the details. But what we've got written here, my daughter wrote, put sugar in the mixer bowl slowly, period. Then do the same with flour, period. Now what's missing here is uh, you've placed all the apple pieces in the baking dish and there's quite a few apples people by the way people get really surprised sometimes at the amount of apples um, you're filling up the dish to the top with these apple pieces um, and since you're cutting them into quarters depending on the size of the dish that you're using, um, it can be quite a few. And I don't remember the size of the baking dish. Ours is a glass Pyrex dish, one of the larger sizes. I can't remember how big it is. We've used something like 11 or 12 apples. So that's quite a lot. And it surprises people. But that's the whole point of this recipe. It's... it's it's primarily apples and in a way a traditional American apple pie is really just the crust uh, all around and then full of apples inside so the emphasis is on apples and kind of similar idea here so what's missing about the sugar the flour uh, first of all, um, you're doing all of this, the, the 
the buttering of the dish, the cream of wheat, the slicing, washing apples, putting apples in the baking dish. You're doing all of those steps while the mixer is beating those four eggs into an absolutely white foam. And I have found that you and, and you run the mixer on high speed and literally walk away and start doing all of this other stuff and just let the mixer work and work and work and work and work and work. And, work. and I've had it at times going for 15, 20, one time I think I've even let it go for 30 minutes. I don't think that um, it does too much if you, if, you know, if you go for, I don't know, forever, I, I don't know that it does any good didn't seem to do any bad when I ran the mixer for something close to 30 minutes but it didn't seem to do anything beyond what it could do in say 10 to 15 minutes just as well so uh, just to give you an idea uh, and and you know KitchenAid is a pretty powerful mixer so that thing is going for 10 to 15 minutes as you're doing all of these things and those four eggs get turned into that really tall white foam. I mean, if you look at the ball at the beginning when you crack those four eggs, and 10, 15 minutes later at high speed with a whisk, that foam rises, I think, at least halfway up that five-quart or whatever it is bowl. It's quite a lot of volume there. So what you do that we haven't written is you take basically a pinch of salt and that really is the first thing you drop in that foam and you let the mixer work it in for a few seconds. And then you start with the sugar and you, as my daughter wrote, put sugar in the mixer bowl slowly. What you're really doing is you're doing it in batches is what slowly is really referring to you're not dumping all of the sugar in and i think the reason for that is, is because it can knock down the foam quite a bit uh, so you're trying to preserve some uh, airiness to this whole thing and so by the way the measurements are one cup of sugar and one cup of flour and you measure the flour sort of the traditional way where you're not really packing the cup with the flour. You're, you're gently uh, placing flour into the cup until it's full, into the measuring cup until it's full. You can also use, you know, you can put a lot more than the measuring cup and then use a flat edge to go across the top of the measuring cup to flatten the pile and you know that way you end up not putting too much flour into this um, which I suppose is pretty important um, so you know you start with the sugar you still have your mixer going at high speed and I don't remember I think it took us I know. I think we did it in in in, in several handfuls. You know, like uh, we tossed 
sugar in four, five, six, maybe seven times a little by little out of that measuring cup until all of it went in. And we'll let the mixer work it and work it. Uh, maybe for 15 seconds, 30 seconds, until all of the sugar was incorporated and I was satisfied that the sugar more or less dissolved in that foam. And you will see, obviously, the foam come down in volume because it's gotten, it's taken on some major weight of the sugar. And now you move on to flour and you do the same thing, only turn the mixer down down to you know on, on KitchenAids uh, they've got speeds I think going from number two to number ten uh, you know you might as well go way down to number two oh, simple reason if it's going full blast and you start uh, dropping flour in that flour is going to fly all over the kitchen <laughs> and that's not what you want and so on slow you start adding flour again in batches a little by little you watch it getting incorporated, uh, and and uh, once you've dumped all of the flour in, and the mixer moved it around and it, it it it's gotten all incorporated, you stop the mixer, and you're gonna have to scrape the sides, and um, I think that's more or less all of the information that's missing from this page. Um, once you scrape the sides, of course, uh, you know, you're using a spatula to scrape the sides of the mixing bowl to incorporate what's stuck to the sides of the mixing bowl back into the mixture, and then you start the mixer again on slow, number two, number three, uh, to incorporate whatever you just scraped back into the batter. Um, and so I think that's all the information, that's all the detail that didn't get put into this page number four. And looking at it, I can see my daughter drew again herself and Mixer and me. And I, I do recall it's funny that I'm still standing there with a piece of paper that's apparently a recipe in my hand and I did not have any pieces of paper in my hand that that was just my daughter's imagination but here she drew me singing and I remember when she was drawing this and she was laughing and saying Poppy's singing and I and I, I was looking and I thought well this is very cute except I don't remember singing I wonder do I sing and I have no memory of this maybe that's what I do I do on occasion uh, uh, sing a tune or whistle a little bit when, when I do something, uh, you know, it's relaxing, I like it, maybe she picked up on that and I just saw it come out in this picture, Papa is singing. And it was fun to watch, I was like, oh, I guess my daughter knows something about me that I don't necessarily notice, but it was very cute. So that is page number four. So we move on to page number five. And my daughter wrote, keep mixing until the batter 
is done, period. And then there's a second sentence. Pour it onto the apples, period. And I can see, and I do remember, uh, just by looking at my daughter's handwriting. I, I don't know if this was uh, one of the two or three pages that we're writing in one sitting or not, but it does look like she was already losing attention because I see some letters are starting to become kind of like uh, pieces of a Lego set or something. Uh, they're the letters, the, the letter T, H in, in the gained uh, sort of a two-dimensional uh, vertical shapes. Uh, I think I remember I had to tell her, okay, focus, focus. The sooner you get this done, the sooner you can go and play. And I kept her going. So really we've we've already talked about the mixer mixing and mixing and what i like to do once the sides of the bowl have been scraped and everything has been incorporated back into the batter i like to kind of whip the whole thing so i turn the mixer on high and like on 10 and i let it whip for about 30 seconds I have never seen any negative effects from doing this. I can't say that it does anything that uh, that wouldn't necessarily happen if I didn't whip it. I've read this also someplace uh, in some comments on some cooking website that uh, you, you let the mixer whip the whole batter mixture it might become a little more airy etc etc and I did observe little bubbles appear in the batter after this whipping process and so I thought well why not because airiness is a good idea in this batter um, generally speaking this cake is relatively light in texture I mean, it's not it's not heavy as a brick um, I think the, the eggs do the job of uh, incorporating this sort of lightness, airiness to this whole thing, the, the entire cake. And so I do that. I do maybe 30 seconds of high-speed uh, mixing. And so just as the second sentence says, you stop the mixer, you, you lift up the upper half of the mixer you let all the batter drip down to the ball from the whisk uh, you maybe scrape the whisk as much as possible to get as much of the batter, batter back into the bowl and uh, you know in this case you gotta let the kids lick the whisk <laughs> and then uh, your baking dish has been waiting buttered covered in cream of wheat and then loaded with apple quarters and you pour 
the batter right over the whole thing. And that was one of the videos that we took of me pouring it. And I don't know that there's necessarily any technique to how you should pour it over. The, 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 the only requirement is to cover the entire surface with this batter. So you're not pouring it in one spot because uh, the consistency of the batter is kind of like somewhat runny sour cream. That's their consistency. So it doesn't necessarily flow like water. So if you were to dump it all in, say, in the center of the baking dish on top of the apples and in just the center, it might settle mostly in the center some of the batter would spread out but not enough to create an even layer so the video we took was of me pouring sort of ribbons of this batter in in a sort of a thin pattern back and forth across from one side to the other side and moving from left to right right to left making sure that the stream, the thin stream of batter lands more or less everywhere as much as possible. And you're trying more, mostly you're trying to distribute this batter evenly across the entire pan. And as you pour, you will notice it doesn't look like a lot of batter to begin with. It looks like there's maybe enough batter to coat the tops of the apples and a little bit underneath and it looks like you maybe need it a lot more but you don't and in fact you will notice that once you are done pouring batter out onto the apples into the baking dish and by the way use the spatula to scrape all of the batter out to let it out into the baking dish maybe a minute or two later after you're done with that step it will start the batter will start sort of settling towards the bottom of the baking dish and it will start to look like the apples at the top have you know they're covered with this batter but so thinly you can probably see the apple skin and you might wonder that this this isn't going to work but it does believe me this batter rises in the oven especially towards the second half of the baking you will notice it rises so much that it actually partly coats the pieces of apples on top not a lot but enough so that it becomes you know a, it, it doesn't become a very tall cake the entire cake doesn't rise above the 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 height of the baking dish for sure but the batter rises enough that you shouldn't be concerned with the fact that maybe there isn't enough of it to begin with that's just something to be aware of and uh so looking at this page number five my daughter continues with the, with the same theme of her and mixer and baking dish and she labeled apples in the baking dish and oh and I think she drew herself 
tipping the mixer bowl and letting batter out into the baking dish on top of the apples. And I can see a label that I think says batter. And uh, I am still there with the recipe in my hand. And I see a label pointing to that piece of paper and says it's a recipe. I do remember she asked me, how do you write recipe? And I'm still singing. So that's, that's cool and cute. And uh, she got the periods now at the end of sentences. I think by page number five, she got the hang of what the end of the sentence is. Although I do see what looks like possibly a period that might have gone somewhere in the middle of a sentence that she later erased. But she was getting hang of the punctuation, so that's good. So that's page number five. Finally, we come to the last page, which is page number six, and my daughter wrote, put it in the oven, period, bake it for about an hour at 350 degrees, period. And then, enjoy! Exclamation mark. She knew what an exclamation mark was. I was very excited that we had a chance to use a, a, a punctuation that wasn't a period. All we did were periods, and here we've got an, uh, an exclamation mark. And and I said, you should put an exclamation mark at the end. Do you know how to do an exclamation mark? And bam, right there she was, wrote it properly. I was very happy about that. And so this was right before she had to go to bed. So I had to tell her that I put it into the oven and in fact I remember taking the photo of the clock when I started the baking process and then immediately after I removed it from the oven when it was done took another photo of the clock so I knew exactly how long it took it actually took me I want to say an hour and about six minutes and uh what I look for is, you know, golden brown, as, as they say. Um, I have discovered that in the past, I didn't let it bake long enough. Um, and I'm sure it also depends on your oven and, and a bunch of other factors. But, uh, but at least an hour, it sounds, is, is what would be necessary uh going a little longer is okay you don't want to go too long because i think it, it, it'll 
get really, really dry and brittle. Um, uh, sometimes I see tops of apple pieces become dark brown. Uh, but what I have discovered is if, if it doesn't go at least an hour or so, and you don't achieve that golden brown color that's closer, I would say, to dark golden. And, and spots can even turn dark brown. There's a bunch of caramelization going on, so you may be seeing some of the really dark brown colors in spots, which is nothing to be worried about. So, um, if you don't go long enough, what can happen later is, you know, you want to get the thing out of the pan, and it's a bit, uh, I don't want to say underbaked, but it may be a little too moist, and it might fall apart, or it might come out in pieces. And I've discovered that when I let it go a little bit longer without getting too far gone, uh, it comes out easier. And so when you take it out, they say, you know, you put it out of the oven on, on whatever, on top of your stove, give it maybe 10 minutes to cool a little bit, maybe not even 10, maybe less between 5 and 10 perhaps uh, after a few minutes you can take a knife and very very carefully go along the sides of the baking dish to separate the sides of the cake away from the sides of the baking dish at the same time letting air in uh, through the gap between the side of the cake and, and the side of the baking pan, uh, baking pan, um, baking dish. And, and that air kind of works its way under the cake. And then when you flip the whole thing over, that supposedly uh, helps the cake release itself from the bottom easier. And I've noticed that and so when you're ready to flip, obviously you want to use mittens, etc. What you do is you find, uh, you know, just like in, in any kitchen, you know, everybody does it the same way. You find perhaps a large cutting board, you put it on top of the cake and, and the baking dish. You grab both together like a sandwich, kind of, very tightly, and you just flip the whole thing upside down so the cutting board is on the bottom the baking dish with the cake is on top of the board you put the thing down on the counter and I leave it like that for maybe a minute maybe two and you can see the bottom of the cake working itself uh, sort of slowly away from the bottom of the baking dish um, sometimes I tap the bottom of the dish a little bit. Sometimes I start slowly lifting the baking dish on one side or the other, and that lets a lot more air in, and I can see the weight of the cake basically pulling itself away. And eventually the cake ends up on the cutting board, only with its bottom up.
So now you take a cooling rack. We have a cooling rack that has sort of, you know, it's a thin cooling rack and it has foldable legs. And it happens to be large enough that it usually covers the entire uh, cake. And, and then I grab now this whole sandwich of cooling rack on top, cake in the middle, cutting board on the bottom. I'm holding the cutting board and the cooling rack tightly enough, but not so hard that I squeeze the life out of the cake and turn it to mush. And I do a quick upside-down turn again. This time you end up with cake on top of the cooling rack, cutting board on top of the cake. You remove the cutting board, and if you've done it nice and quick and with confidence and without too much squeezing, you've got a perfectly... A good-looking apple cake sitting on top of the cooling rack and cooling. And you probably want to let this thing cool pretty well because apples can get really, really hot and they can burn you if you start eating them. I mean, they pack a lot of steam, so you want to be careful. And really, that's about it. And then you can just basically cut it and you can eat it just by itself. You could put, you know, you could do it a la mode. You could put some ice cream on top. The funniest thing is that my daughter doesn't like it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, adults love it. Uh, so word of caution here is that depending on your kid or kids, they may not like this thing. This thing isn't necessarily the sweetest cake you've ever had. In fact, it's probably one of the less sweet cakes you've ever had. But apples are good for you, and, uh, you know, eggs aren't bad for you, and it doesn't have a ton of sugar like a lot of baked goods do. One cup isn't that much. Um, so it's generally considered uh, the sort of cake that's pretty good for you. I wouldn't say necessarily you should eat <laughs> an entire cake every day or something like that, but I personally could. I really like it. It's a, I would call this a relatively tart cake, uh, but, but that's what I love about it. And um, it's funny that my daughter was so involved in baking this and was looking forward to writing about it and she really invested herself in writing these six pages and and uh and in fact uh, i'm going back to the sixth page and i see the picture now is of her sitting i do remember she asked me how do you draw someone sitting down and i was saying well try Instead of drawing legs straight down, try drawing, you know, sort of a L-shaped, upside-down thing. And she drew a table, and we're now sitting at the table, and there's cake on the plate, and we're eating and enjoying it, and everything is labeled, and I can't quite tell for sure, but I think I'm at the table eating cake and still singing. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to have to go ask my daughter and clarify if that's what's going on or not.
But that is page six and the end of the entire recipe. And with that, you may be able to actually follow this and bake your own. And I will attempt to maybe complete this writing that my daughter did with all the photos and videos we took and write all of this down and post it perhaps on my website um, sergeybloom.com or a copy of the website is also at sergeybloom.wordpress.com hopefully I will eventually put it there someplace and people will be able to refer to it and see exactly what we did and how it turned out and that is the fun story of my daughter and I doing her homework where she had to write a how-to and we chose to write a how-to bake an apple cake Don't forget to visit SergeyBloom.com and come back here for more soothing episodes. Thank you.